De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast. An I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host and the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. And today we're going to discuss the best strategies for generating revenue through events and gifts to improve the customer experience. Joining us today is Nina Butler, who is the Senior Director of Revenue Marketing at Alice, which is the only gifting platform that enables sales, marketing, and customer success teams to create personal bonds and drive results through a relational approach to gifting. And today, Nita and I are going to discuss how events drive revenue. Okay, here's my conversation with Nita Butler, the Senior Director of Revenue Marketing at Alice. Nita, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Doug. Excellent intro and so happy to be here. Yeah, it'll be a good one. And I have to say, part of the reason I'm so excited about talking to you, Nina, is because event marketing is back, everybody. So let's tuck in and relearn event marketing by reaching into the younger, yonder days of 2019. So let's open things up. Why should we be excited about the return of in-person events? Well, I'm so happy you bring this up, Doug. In my opinion, events didn't go anywhere over the past several years. We just have had to adapt the modality to better reach our buyers and their preferences. But the reason that events is a passion point of mine and why they're so important, not just in my revenue generating strategy, but I think for B2B brands as a whole, is competition is hot right now, especially if you are in a software or a service space, you're continually looking for ways to differentiate your brand and leave more of a lasting impression with your buyers or with your prospective customers. And so as a result, events are one of the most authentic ways that you can take more of a one-to-many relationship down to more of a one-to-one personal, memorable, reciprocal experience. And that's why I think events now more than ever are an incredibly important part of a go-to-market team's revenue strategy, because you're able to deliver and pack a huge revenue punch in ways that don't always manifest themselves in dollarized pipeline, but in other KPIs and metrics that are still incredibly important as you think about accelerating people through their customer journey. That's a really good point. And I have to say, when I talk about events and I think about events and I plan for and budget and spend money on events, I typically call them twofers. And the reason I call them twofers, Nina, is because you're not just getting pipeline, but you're getting a lot of brand awareness. And it's sometimes pretty rare in marketing to have that double punch, if you will. But you mentioned that events never went anywhere. What was your experience over the last brace for it, two plus years, folks, when it comes to actually supporting and driving good virtual events? Did you feel like there was a difference between the good virtual events and the in-person events? And are you glad to be going back to those in-persons? Yes. Wow. There's a lot to unpack in there. So I'll kind of start with how my team adapted and the learnings that we can now apply to future iterations, whether they continue to be virtual or in-person. First off, our buyer's attention is so hard to capture in the moment. 
our time is our most valuable resource. It's something that we cannot put money against to buy more of for ourselves. And so as a result, if you are asking somebody to take 30 minutes, an hour, several days out of their their calendars to join you in some event capacity, you better make sure that the value is evident for them within it and you're delivering on what's promised. And so I think virtual, you know, lots of people have talked about virtual event fatigue and, you know, nobody wants to sit in your webinars any longer. And again, it's because we haven't yet been able to create enough value that then makes it worth that time on somebody's calendar. And I think the difference between virtual and in-person is that in-person, you have all of these other intangibles that help create value additive moments. You have like the meet cute moments in the buffet line where you end up sparking up a conversation, right? And you leave that conference or that event being like, wow, I got a lot out of this in addition to the content that was presented in an agenda. And so you have to look for moments to manifest that type of experience within your virtual events or the stakes are just that much higher to deliver against. So that's what I think is like one of the biggest discrepancies in how my team had to reorient ourselves to how to create value additive virtual experiences for our audiences. And I think secondarily, virtual over this past year and a half has taught us that we can actually defy the conventions that we've once known to be event. And an example of what I mean there is gone are the days of, you know, being like, we must do a three day, you know, virtual experience in order to make that thousand dollar price tag worth it or whatever it might be. In fact, actually, and we've adopted this strategy ourselves. What if you just create a series of bite-sized consumable on demand micro events that people can consume at their leisure over, you know, a month period or whatever it might be. And so I think until we're able to give ourselves permission to rethink what a quote unquote event experience should look like, we're going to have a really hard time adapting to how buyers like to consume content today. Yeah, that's you bring up such a great point, which is, I think we really tried to take the in-person paradigm and move it online. And, you know, I'd say personally that we really struggle with that, whether that was events we were conducting or whether we were sponsoring events. And it feels like that transition really is recognizing that people won't consume in the same way, meaning that event type format where you have those. And by the way, congratulations, Nina, you actually mentioned a movie plot role, the meet cute moments. <laughs> well done. In terms of, uh, you know, those moments of dynamics, right, where we typically get the magic out of those events. So let's stay on the virtual place, even though I want to escape it right now. I have to say the experiences a lot of us had with the virtual were not as good as the in-person events, but it feels like your playbook adapted more than maybe the rest of us. So what does a really decent playbook look like for virtual events? Because I think, gosh, I don't think we're going to escape them for a little while, Nina. I think we're going to be in hybrid mode for a while. So what does a good hybrid playbook look like right now? Doug, you nailed it. I think where event marketers fell down over these past 18 months is that they tried to just simply retrofit their in-person playbooks in a virtual application. And when you do that, but don't adjust anything else in that experience, it's no wonder it under delivers for that attendee's expectations. And so the way that I've architected my event strategy is thinking about it actually in one of three flavors. And I hope this helps because you can apply this lens to both virtual and in-person, but of course the experience in and itself has to be delivered uniquely. So when I think about uh, very top of funnel, the events that I like to create are ones that are very much around creating opportunities for our target market to get to meet our brand. And when I talk about meeting our brand, think of these as very much one-to-many experiences, whether it's a trade show in person or virtual, some sort of large group gathering, a huge customer summit, a marquee event that you host in your industry, 
sponsored communities, you name it. But the intention and the expectation on outcome from a revenue standpoint on these is maximum eyeballs on your brand, like you just mentioned, kind of that twofer. Obviously, as many new business booked meetings as possible with your sales team that can then turn into actualized pipeline. And this is great, not just for new logo acquisition, but especially as you're looking to expand your use case, move up market, diversify buying committees. It's a great way to introduce yourself to more and more people in an account. And so those are really important. I always make sure that my mix includes at least a third of those when I think about how do I distribute my event marketing spend throughout the year. And then ideally, once people get the opportunity to meet your brand, we then want them to experience our brand. And this is where one of the core things that we've been able to deliver a differentiated, especially hybrid and virtual experience comes into play. And this is really thinking about how can you create opportunities, again, for your prospects and or your customers, where you can invite them into your fold and you can create programming that satisfies things that speak to both their nine to five responsibilities. And then what I love to call your five to nine interests. It's what makes Doug, Doug outside of your nine to five, what makes Nina, Nina outside of a revenue marketing role. And when you're able to blend those two worlds together, like boom, that's the differentiator when people are totally fried on your, your Zoom webinar fatigue, right? If you can somehow create a round table, get together a bunch of, and this is a real life example, we got together a bunch of people uh, who wanted to learn floral design and we hosted a floral design experience. But in between the steps, learning how to create a beautiful at-home bouquet, we talked about things that were really topical and applicable to them in their nine to five roles. And then that's what helps simulate some of like that meet cute moment I just talked about where they feel as though they're leaving their event feeling really full personally and professionally. And so that has been a really winning formula for us so far. And then the last thing I like to think about, so ideally people have met your brand, they've experienced your brand, and now it's the appropriate time for them to start to learn from your brand. And this is very much bottom of funnel oriented, again, whether it's in-person or virtual, but this is very much thinking about how can you showcase your product or industry or market level expertise and create experiences that give your customers or late stage prospects value additive content they can take back to their roles today. And so when I talk about those like two other ideas, Doug, they're not brand agnostic, but your brand is taking a back seat in service of the recipient experience, where once you've earned the opportunity to get somebody farther down the funnel, that's when you want to put your brand on display and your product furthermore on display. And again, like that comes to life in really tangible ways when you're revenue, when you're thinking about, you know, driving feature and functionality upsells and cross sells or just getting product adoption in a better place. But again, like it's not always about pipeline. It's more about what's the outcome that's most relevant to the audience. I'm architecting the experience for. So that's how I like to think about it in three ways. And that gives my team a level of focus when we think about, well, now what do we want to go out and create as long as it satisfies one of those three buckets? This sits on a topic that's near and dear to my heart and, you know, is really a part of how I approach each of these interviews ultimately. And that is, how do we create this idea of empathy? And I'm going to adapt that term a bit, but empathy for the prospect and the customer. And I'm going to adapt it and say, understanding. And I love this idea of, the nine to five and the five to nine. So who are you, right, outside of work? But by the way, that informs who you are at work at the same time. And you talk about using some techniques as an example. You used a flower arranging workshop, if you will, to understand those folks. But for those of us that aren't clever enough or don't have the time to organize those things, what are some tips for our audience in terms of understanding maybe how to better understand their audience, especially when it comes to trade shows? How does that work? How can we get that better understanding, empathy, 
when we head into the trade show events? Totally. Well, first off, it starts with a conversation, <laughs> taking the time to truly get to know your audience on a one-to-one level. And I think it's also important, like before I kind of dive into more suggestions, this level of investment isn't always right for every prospect of yours or every customer of yours, right? And so really think critically about like the calories you're going to burn on architecting a hyper-relevant and relatable experience and the audience that then is going to kind of mirror the investments that you're making. And so a real life example that I can share about this is, you know, we have an account-based motion and therefore that's just like a level of prioritization that we, you know, assign to our total addressable market. And as a result, we spend time having phone calls, having in-person meetups with the marketers that we want to create real tangible relationships with. And through those shared experiences, we learn who they are as individual people. We capture those preferences, those personalities in our CRM. And then as a result, when we go to architect experiences in the past, we have a paper trail. We have data to help us inform what are the types of events and experiences that are going to be peak the interest most of our target audience. Furthermore, we have components of our tech stack that help kind of mine more of those personal insights, if you will. And those are things that can help complement, you know, the standard technographic and firmographic data points that, of course, we all kind of use to help with our prioritization as well. But it really always starts with the conversation and maintaining proximity to the customer. And I encourage both myself and the rest of our revenue marketing team to be on at least two to three customer calls a week by customer media, they're a prospective customer or a current piece of business, because it's really important that we stay and maintain close in terms of what the pains and gains of them are as a person in their nine to five, but also their personal preferences in their five to nines. I love this approach. And I have to say it's foundational in the sense that it demands an understanding of your persona. And it's also something that's, I think, part of most marketers' playbooks these days, which is understanding your segments and then understanding the personas and then ultimately layering on top of this an understanding of that nine to five versus five to nine. So I'm going to take us back out of that specificity for a moment. And I'm going to put us back on that trade show floor. You're willing to go on a small journey with me here, Nina? Oh, I would love to. Trade shows is where I shine. All right. So let's do this. So Here's the situation that I think a lot of marketers face, and that is the decision about the level of investment in a trade show. So we're not talking about the cool farm to table event that we mentioned before, a flower arranging sessions. We're not talking about events that we organize and direct. Somebody else's control, right? True for trade shows across the board. So the first is, does it really matter if I've got the biggest booth on the floor? Talk to me about that balance of booth size and then how are you driving people ultimately? What's your suggestion to drive people to that booth to have that great experience you just talked about, that deep understanding of those personas and making sure they're seeing that experience is unique. So help us out here, fellow marketers. Nina's going to tell us the solution, the playbook, the perfect playbook for trade shows. Nina, go. I love this. All right. Well, I'm merely one person's opinion, but this has been incredibly successful. I'm an early stage startup gal, and therefore, we tend to ball on a budget a little bit. So I've never been the platinum sponsor. I don't know if I even want to work for a brand, and that's even an opportunity, because I truly don't think it matters. And I'll tell you why I don't think it matters. How you activate your brand is bigger than the footprint that you commandeer at a trade show. And a real life example of this, Doug, I'll share is several years ago, this is back, well, it had to be right when we were having 20,000 plus person trade shows, the brand I was working for, we activated ourselves at Adobe Summit, which is a huge industry event in Las Vegas and talk about being a small fish in a ginormous pond, both in terms of the footprint we had, but just the brand recognition at the time. And so what we did is we thought about what would create a truly compelling experience that would draw people into our 
no joke. It was like a five by five. It was like the smallest <laughs> scrap of real estate we could get our paws on. And so what we had done is we were like, well, let's think about all the things we don't love about experiences when we've been at trade shows. Like I personally don't love like the give to get, like I'll give you one AirPod, but I won't give you the other unless you take a meeting, right? Like that doesn't resonate with me. It leaves an interesting impression if that's the first time I'm meeting your brand. And so my teammates and I documented the things we don't love. And that freed up our mental capacity to think about what are the things we would love or that we've we have interacted and did end up loving. And so what we had done is we, this cost us no more than $100. We as a company, this is a great team building exercise too. We folded hundreds of origami hummingbirds. And the reason we folded those is because our logo is a hummingbird. And so they were in all these beautiful different colors. And what we then did is we strung them together on a fishing line. So they looked like kind of invisible curtains, if you will. And we strung them up on our booth. So one, there's a visual attractiveness to your booth that goes beyond just like, how cool of an image you had printed on your step and repeat, right? And then secondarily to that, we're like, okay, well, this might bring people into the booth, but how do we get them to stay in the booth? Because staying in the booth is the second factor, right? And so we architected an experience in which it was a game. People are so motivated by gamification. that It's like in humans' nature to be competitive and want to win something. And so then we said, okay, well, what if every color of a bird was a different monetary value of a gift? And as a result, people could come in carnival style and be like, all right, I'm going for the yellow. And then post-event, the post-event pull through, and I'll, I'll kind of put a pin in that because I have lots of ideas on this, is making sure that we followed up them with the yellow bird people with a really hyper-personalized post-event experience. We delivered on our promise. And then as a result, our relationship started on such a fun, memorable, impressionable foot. That's way better than like, ship this ball into a golf, I don't golf, I don't know the right words, <laughs> play the putting game for a chance to win a car, right? Um, and those things work, no doubt, but it's like, what is the impression you leave? And there's a difference between getting somebody's attention and spurring action with that attention that you get. So that is a really good example of like, it's not about how much money you have in the bank. It's about how thoughtful you're architecting an experience that will bring people to you, but then have a good enough reason to have a conversation afterward. So you mentioned something I think it's really important, Nina, which is post-game, right? And that's this idea of what are you doing after this incredible experience that you give folks in the trade show floor and at the booth, right? So I want to talk pre-game a little bit. I want to talk post-game a little bit. So let's start with pre-game. What an inventive way to approach things. You were, by the way, the smallest fish in a giant ocean. So that's impressive you guys were able to pull that off. So what does pre-game look like for you? And I'll tell you, for us... For the companies I've worked for, pregame is get the registration list and try and drive traffic to the booth with some sort of incentive. What do you do and what do you recommend? So when I think about the pregame, I actually like to start with the recipient in mind and then work my way backward in terms of what needs to happen and when and what type of investment do I need to make to make that happen. So for instance, in that Adobe Summit example, I thought about, okay, how big is this show? How much brand recognition do we have? And when I put those things together, I realized, okay, this is our target audience, but I guarantee most people can't even pronounce our company name. So I need to make sure that the activation I am delivering and the impression that I'm ultimately leaving on them satisfies those two things. And then from there, I'm able to back my way into, okay, well, what are the ideas to get there? Then how long of a lead up do I need? Then how much budget do I need to achieve? Then how big of a you know real estate or footprint do I need on the showroom floor? And I think we're teams get stuck or, or kind of ultimately end up pigeonholing that recipient experience is because they start 
with the beginning in mind, thinking about like, all right, I have 20K to put against this. I'm going to send five sellers. I'm going to work that lead list until it's, you know, buried in the ground. And then you show up day of and you, you've kind of maxed out your capacity to create a differentiated experience. So that's one thing I recommend both myself and, and other folks listening today to think about as you're architecting that, that in-person presence. But then, and you mentioned, you know, pregame, postgame, but there's also the game in the middle to be had, right, too. And so I think about like, what is our pre-event activation? And those are things in terms of like, how do we need to enable our sellers around this experience or whomever is going to be representing our company in the moment? How do we get them oriented to our activation? How do we want to coach them on being people on the showroom floor and not just these like aggressive, I don't even know what you want to call it, that like jump out in the aisles and, and grab your badge. Like that is that is the antithesis of the brand we want to create and the, the impression we want to leave. And that takes a lot of like people development, right? And so that's a big part of our pregame prep, so to speak. And then furthermore, when you think about the in-event activation, it's setting those clear standards when your team is on the ground, like having that pre-event meeting and being like, hey, y'all, here's our ethos. Here's how we want to be perceived as a brand. Here again, it's the impression we want to leave, whether you're on the showroom floor, sitting in a session and asking a question, sitting with somebody at the lunch table, right? It's like, if Alice, the company I work at, if Alice were a person, how would she speak? How would she act? What would she wear? You know, what types of friends would she have? And those are things like we really try to personify our brand. And I'll tell you one thing, Doug, this is music to my ears, but every time we activate in an in-person show and people come up to us and say like, either one, we've heard about y'all and we heard we had to come meet you. And secondarily, your team is some of the most memorable people I've met here at the event. Like those make my heart sing because I know that we're leaving doing a job well done. Yeah, and this I have to say at the end of the day, what I really love that we didn't talk about is how we're generating revenue. Because ultimately, I think the fallout here is if you think about with empathy and understanding the experience that you want those prospects to have and this idea of what you want to represent to them, the brand is not an abstract. It's a thing. It's a living personality that each member of that team has got to live and breathe to create a great experience. And I'm going to guess the revenue tends to flow from there. Is that your experience as well, Nina? It most certainly does. But honestly, that is where then the post game comes in. And it's like, you know, you might be listening to me and be like, Nina, this all sounds like butterflies and rainbows. Like we're all here to make money, right? But you're right. The money does come if you have a clear point of view on how to make it come post event. And that's meaning like, okay, of all the conversations we have, let's get really critical about how we want to now segment these audiences and the experiences we want to now take them on because they're in our database or in our fold or, or in our CRM or whatever it might be. And then making sure the level of investment that you make around them mirrors their level of prioritization to you in your business. You know, not everybody can get that white glove post-event experience and that's okay. But it's not okay to have a wonderful in-person relationship develop and then you send them like a cold canned email three weeks later being like, hey, want to hop on a demo? It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Like I'm at very different cruising altitudes from this brand from when I first met them. You know, I thought the answer was going to be pink tracksuits. I think we've all seen or experienced this, right? Which is you've got the small fish in the big pond situation, and then you're doing your best to try and project a brand outwards by being as loud as possible. I like this approach a lot. The approach is having an understanding of your prospects and your audience, having an understanding of your brand and creating unique experience. You know, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Doug. I absolutely love the combo as well. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Nina Butler, Senior Director of Revenue Marketing at Alice for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Nina and I are going to discuss 
gifting to create customer inflection points. If you can't wait until our next episode and would like to learn more about Nina, you can find her on LinkedIn or visit the Alice website at alice.com. That's A-L-Y-C-E.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to revgenpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generator podcast, or you can even share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Market Advocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll be back in your feed in the next business day. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself.